What do you taste? It, it tastes hot. It tastes hot. It tastes like burning in my chest. It tastes like alcohol. Um, <laughs> That's good. It is. <laughs> I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? It's Blake, the Half Hour Intern, and it is Whiskey Week here on Half Hour Intern. So if you missed part one, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that first. In that, I sit down with Josh Tennis, who is a whiskey expert, to go over just a lot of knowledge about whiskey. Um, I was a complete novice before any of this, and uh, it's it's a really good crash course in everything whiskey. In part two right here, we get a little bit tipsy as we actually do a whiskey tasting. And you can kind of walk along the whiskey tasting with us and... Uh, Josh will use the whiskey tasting as kind of an education vehicle to talk about different things that you might notice when you're tasting whiskey. Um, And he will also tell us just how to do a tasting, like how to properly taste something. So um, uh, it's a pretty cool little episode. Without further ado, here is whiskey tasting. All right, Josh, the time has come, dude. I'm very excited. I have my first glass of whiskey poured. What are we looking at here? Now the fun part. You're looking at a Macallan 17-year-old fine oak. So this is a really nice-looking bottle. It looks like it's expensive. Is it expensive? What are we talking here? It probably goes for 180 to 250 depending what? on where you live. Yeah. All right, man. So this is obviously scotch. I mean, I shouldn't say obviously. I just The, the name Macallan sounds very proper. So You that... did read scotch on the label probably, so that's obvious, I guess. Okay, cool, cool. And then right underneath that, right underneath McAllen, it says fine oak. Um, I actually, the other day, picked up this uh, McAllen Essentials little little like advertisement <laughs> thing. And so on one, on one side, it talks about their single malt fine oak, which so this one says fine oak. On the other side, it says single malt sherry oak. This bottle that we have right here is of the fine oak version of what I saw right there. So... Is this like a type of tree called a fine oak? What is the fine oak one? The fine oak is the same whiskey aged in three different types of barrels at the distillery. One of those barrels was made from European red oak, and it previously held sherry wine. Okay. The other barrel is made from white oak that previously held American bourbon. And then the third barrel is also made from white oak that was seasoned with sherry wine. Okay, wow, that's interesting. And so which one do we have? What's the fine oak one? That's- so the fine oak is a blend of all three of those types of barrels holding Macallan whiskey in it. And oh, then blended damn. together. So they call it fine oak because it's a blend of different oak treatments, basically, to the whiskey. Whoa, that's awesome, man. And then the other one that you, know, you were mentioning that you picked up this little breakdown thing was the sherry oak versions. And they contain much higher proportions of uh, sherry oak aged whiskey. So like Macallan 18 that comes in that purple tube um, is going to have a much, much darker color than this because it was predominantly aged in European red oak that held sherry. All right, cool, man. So the Macallan 17 fine oak, it's got the three barrels on the label. That's to distinguish the fact that it came from three different actual barrels, three different scotches with three different types of wood, or not three different types of wood, but you know what I'm saying. 
and then it says 17 years old. So every single one of those was 17 years old, though. It has to be just... at least 17 years old in order to put that on the label. At every least. Every single okay. one of those barrels. Sometimes they'll put older stuff in it if they need to, if they have that around. Okay, cool, man. Um, all right, let's uh, let's taste this. So since this is the first one, why don't you walk through a, a tasting with us? Well, what first if... you got to cheers and say slanja. Slanja. Slanjava. Slanjava. That's what they say over in, uh, in Scotland. Awesome, man. Um, all right, so first you're sticking your nose way down in it, so same as wine, I guess? Yeah, so kind of approach it slowly, because it's a lot higher alcohol than wine, you know? So you, you might, like, if you whiff too hard, you're going to, like, burn your nostrils. <laughs> um, this is uh, 43% alcohol. Okay, so is that low or high? That's on the lower end of, I'd say, premium single malt, but that's high. I mean, yeah, right, most right. bulk whiskey would be bottled at 40% alcohol. Okay. Um, yeah, so just kind of bring it slowly to your nose and I've taken inhale with your mouth open. It'll kind of help circulate air okay. and mellow it out for you a little bit. And then I always tell people that take, whoa, it- you just changed my life. I've never smelled anything with my mouth open like that. I don't think do, do that for beer and wine too. And, and food really for that. I mean, anything, anything you're going to smell. Totally like kinda- changed the- it made it not as alcoholy smelling. There you go. Wow. So do a revisit. And if you haven't already done the mouth closed, mouth open experiment, you should do it and see what he's talking about. Uh, and then take your first initial sip like it's a hot espresso. You order a hot, a hot coffee or a hot espresso, you take like a really small sip so you don't burn yourself. Totally. You got to check the temp first. If this is your first whiskey of the day or the evening, then take that small sip and kind of acclimate yourself. Okay. Slanja. Slanja. Thank you. Just kind of let it fall away. Now, am I supposed to be... Or was I supposed to be moving it all over the place in my mouth or just swallowing it? Or what are we talking? Yeah, so I, I kind of let that first sip hang a little bit. And like I said, just kind of acclimate to my palate, uh, the not only the alcohol heat, but the flavors kind of teasing what I'm going to experience more again once I go back for a second uh, sniff and, and taste. Um, it's that second one that I hold a little longer, though, and kind of let it almost evaporate off. So take another uh, slange. Another slange. Let's do it. All right, so now let's talk about Let's talk about tasting notes. So, um, it tastes. What do you taste? It, it tastes hot. It tastes hot. It tastes like burning in my chest. It tastes like alcohol. Um, <laughs> That's good. It is. <laughs> it. Um, All right. So before you even go on, let me stop you. Yeah, yeah. So go back for a smell before before you continue. So it's this smells incredibly, incredibly sweet. It smells. Why don't you tell me like what you smell, and then I'll tell you what I smell <laughs> you tell afterwards. Me what you smell. So I smell. I smell like some flowers too. I smell like like this like white flower, like kind of jasmine, almost like honeysuckle. Whoa, honeysuckle for sure. I'm not dude. just making this up either. I used to work at a green uh, greenhouse. Um, go in the garden at springtime. Go take a big whiff of jasmine and flowers, and see if you can pick out any of and that just in this. But bring out your Macallan 17. But I get a lot of like, I get the floral notes like that. And there's a, there's like this kind of, um, you know, like in the bulk part of the supermarket where they have those sugar gummies, you know, and like different colors or whatever. Yeah. Um, like a, like a candied orange kind of smell almost. It smells a little bit, uh, also like wax to me, like a, like a spent candle. Like paraffin. Yeah. I can see that. I can definitely see that for sure. Wow. I'm so proud of myself that you disagree with me. All right. I'm going to take another sip now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy we did that. I can. It's good to talk about your smell before you try to taste things. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it, I, it's probably like similar to writing out your thoughts. You know, it just like makes everything more clear to you. Um, all right. What do you think? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I uh, 
I do. I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a whiskey drinker. And it's not that I'm not a whiskey drinker. I'm not a... You're only going to be I'm able to a... say I'm not a whiskey drinker so many times because every time I see you, we're drinking whiskey <laughs> and that's going to expire. Yeah. So it's more, I guess, that I'm not an alcohol drinker. So it's, I'm so, I'm so uh, like hit in the chest with alcohol whenever I drink alcohol, you know? Um, but yeah, to your point, I feel like now if I were to drink alcohol, it would be whiskey because there are so many of those things to taste. You know? Yeah, I mean, I've never been really a big vodka fan for that reason because vodka is odorless, is colorless, clean. and tasteless. Yeah. Um, and that to me is just someone who wants to get really messed up without tasting anything. I don't drink whiskey to get, you know, drunk. I mean, that's a an ancillary fun byproduct, but you know, it's not the end result. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, if you're gonna drink one spirit, I mean, <laughs> might as good. well be whiskey. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, for it's sure. All right, man. Let's um let's move on to. Oh, we can move on to the Lafroy. You okay, want to just so go to the Palette Rec or Pete Bomb right away? Well, I'm let's just thinking the it. other one from Scotland. Yeah, that that's, way we that's, can that's cool. compare that. the two. And they're only one year difference in age as well. So one would think like, okay, two whiskeys from Scotland, one year apart in age. Um, so I know Scotland is really, really. It, it's like wines in Italy. Um, they're very territorial over like where it was specifically made. Are these made in very different areas of Scotland? Oh yeah, Macallan is made in the uh, the Speyside region, as they call it in Scotland. And this region in Scotland is kind of like if you look at Scotland, it kind of almost looks like this glove with a bunch of like fingertips that were chopped off, like you know, as islands, and that that kind of fat thumb like triangular part, um, if you will is the Speyside region. It's not like on the northeast side, touches the North Sea. And uh, that's where, you know, 70% of the 100-plus distilleries probably are located, Whoa. and it's got a lot of them. Like, So what is indicative of that Speyside region? The Speyside region traditionally makes kind of rich, sweet, spicy whiskeys. That's the simple kind of way to, to describe the flavor profiles, rich, sweet, spicy whiskeys. And a lot of times those sweet, sweeter flavors come from the oak that had previously held sherry in it the sherry mm. barrels yeah that they're using to age the whiskey that takes place in a much higher proportion in the Speyside region than it does elsewhere in scotland okay and so that style kind of evolved this other one that we have can you even smell it it's like wafting up from the table it yeah. smells like campfire totally so this other one that we're drinking lafroig and you're gonna Look at the label and think it says Lafrog or something on it. It's spelt really weird. L-A-P-H-R-O-A-I-G. Um, this is made on a tiny island uh, called Isla. And it's basically kind of diagonally opposite of the Speyside. Traditionally, a lot of the whiskeys that came from this island were smoky from being peat smoked in the process. Isla is known for the uh, the peaty... Isla is known for where the whiskeys. majority of the... And that's not to say that only PD whiskeys come from Isla or that only PD whiskeys made in Isla, but right. yes. Um, so let's have the Pete discussion really quick before the we Pete drink this. discussion, that's a good one. I yeah. Like it. So uh, Pete, um, what we're referring to here is the organic matter that, you know, just like you would see in, in the garden center or whatever that you put in potted plants, peat moss... Um, there's a lot of peat bogs in Scotland, and what they did back in the day, they used peat to fuel fires that were used to stop the malting process. But the malting process is basically what you do to the grain, the husk, to get it to kind of 
break its hard shell and re start to release its sugars. So if you think back to science class when you took a seed and you put it in a wet napkin and you put it in a bag and you came back in three days and there was a little sprout. Well, yeah, I mean, sprouted grains have become like very popular and in vogue now. Yeah, you can America's spend like a healthier $9 uh, for eight ounces of sprouted grains, microgreens in your, uh, in your grocery store section. So, so you're that, talking about that exact same thing. Yeah, it's They're the like exact trying same to sprout thing. this grain. Exact same thing. So what they, 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 they basically make a warm, not hot, but warm water um, that they'll um, get the grains, you know, moist so that they're kind of coaxed into malting, um, into almost germinating, basically. And right before it sends out that sprig, you know, right as it's about to, as it's popping through the shell, they halt the process so it doesn't send out a green shoot. And the way they did that back in the day was they just dried it out so that there was no more moisture to feed the, the germination process. Mm -hmm. And the way they did that was through a fire that they heated with peat. Just because there was a ton of peat everywhere. There was a ton of peat everywhere. And it would have been maybe slightly carcinogenic and unflavorful to do it with coal, which they were also using to heat their fires. Mm -hmm. But peat was also being used uh, you know, to heat the fires as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, a, it was an actually functional reason. It was, in, it was used in the, in the process of making the whiskey. Nowadays, they don't need to do that with a peat laid in fire. They can do it with hot air from a kiln that they, you know, use gas pipes filled, you know, gas heated water pipes that will heat up a kiln, whatever. Right. Um, but it became such a beloved flavor. It, that It becomes such a beloved flavor that a lot of distilleries now still traditionally, some of them will peat on site. Some of them will just order bulk barley from a malt house that has already been peated. Is there anything like a, um, like, so I've been told that at Burger King, they actually like put those uh, flame broiled strips on the burger patties, you know, to make it look as if it was on like a frame, a flame broiled fire. Or like, like a coil or like a, like a hot rod of just cross hatches. Yeah. Or like, like a Sharpie marker. You know, I don't know what it is, <laughs> yeah. but so it, are, is there anyone like doing that with Pete? Like, are, do, do you still have to use peat and burn the peat in order to, like, give it that peat flavor? Or are now people using, like, artificial peat flavoring? To my knowledge, I don't think anyone's using artificial peat flavoring. No I one's mean, juicing. I, no, I don't think anyone's juicing. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I've been to probably over 20 distilleries in Scotland, and pretty much every one of them is a pretty traditional, you know, batch of folks. Yeah. Um, kind of set their own pace and that kind of thing. Um, that said, the uh, and not cutting corners, right? Um, but that said, um, people do now buy the barley in bulk from a malt house that has already peated the barley to their kind of desired range. Um, you can actually measure the phenol content in the barley in the resulting whiskey in like a parts per million measurement, hmm. and. Because that's these flavors that we're smelling. This burnt flavors that we're smelling from the peat are, are phenols. And so distilleries like Lafroig, like we're ordering uh, drinking right now, they peat about, they say they peat about 40% of their malt on site. So presumably the, the other 60% is purchased in bulk. And really the, 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 really the reason for that is they just can't, peat all of it on site anymore because of how much more they're making yeah um Lefroig is still pretty small but some of the ones who are pumping out you know a million liters three million ten million liters a year have no way that they can hand peat of everything. course you would need 40 pagoda smoking huts to to 
you know, do that. And that's just not practical on some of these sites. So Josh, um, when, so typically, uh, I guess just to like put a bow on all this, typically when people are talking about like, Oh, that tastes peaty. Um, even if they don't know all that about peat, they, they probably at least know kind of what they taste or like what they think peat means. So, um, people are usually probably talking about like smoky earthy, um, yeah, sort of thing. Sure. What was really interesting, the first, when you first gave me the peat talk, whatever type of whiskey we had at that time, it also tasted very briny, like almost salty, yeah. like a, an oyster or something. Yep, very good. And, yeah. uh, and you were telling me, well, yeah, like this place is so surrounded by the ocean and so much on the coast that that sort of, you know, fog and whatever just sits there in the peat. And now, yeah, you're, that peat that you're burning is actually giving this like oceanic taste to the, uh, to the scotch which is absolutely incredible so peat is a, a like it, people are using it as a is a one-size-fits-all sort of term one size but flavor it's such term, yeah. a it's such a unique term because you're really when you're what you're saying like oh that tastes like peat it should be a peat for that region it should give you a taste of like the very specific peat in the very specific area that this scotch came from which is it's a really like magical and endearing thing when you're tasting something you know to try to like close your eyes and think about the place while you're having it yeah the um i think the one that we were tasting that you're referring to that that pastime was uh, a talisker whiskey and talisker is also an island distillery um it's not located on the same island as lefroig um but it definitely has a very pronounced brine salty salinity oceanic flavor profile to it and, you know, these these peat bogs have been evolved and created, you know, over hundreds, thousands of years. And what has decomposed in that area plays a significant role in the um, the final flavor profile. So mm, yeah. um, with something like this that's close to the ocean, a lot of decomposed seaweed and sea creatures and constant uh, sea air and salt being um, intertwined with the organic matter around contrast that with someplace up in more of the highlands of Scotland, more in the mountains that has a lot of Scottish wildflowers and heather and that kind of and thistle all growing along the edge that then maybe washes away into the valley and into the bog and settles and gives way to a, maybe a more floral, incense smoky profile. So it's so cool. It just makes it so much cooler knowing all that when you're drinking it. Um, all right. What was the term again? Slangeva. Slangeva. All right. So what do you smell first? So I opened my mouth this time while I was smelling it, and uh, it actually smells sweet. It uh, it definitely smells peaty, but like behind all the peat, you can smell the sweet. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to say it's hard for me. I I think I I said this to you the the other time that we drank whiskey together, which is a lot of them have like the exact same smells to me. Like I pretty much always get like, oh, it smells like uh, caramelized banana, and it smells like vanilla and stuff like that. I just like always get those same things. So I liken that to when I first started playing music, you know, like decades ago, and I would be trying to like jam with people who were maybe like a little bit more further down the line or whatever. And I was trying so hard to just keep up with finding that one note, right? Like just the the one and, and always trying to find that same space. But then as you get a little bit more expanded in your horizons and what you've tasted, your brain starts to kind of not need to remember where the one hit is. And it starts to groove a little bit more or it starts to find other flavors that are kind of underneath the more obvious top layer flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vanilla, I mean, you should be smelling vanilla because this is aged in oak. And 
vanillin is a naturally occurring compound in, in oak, so vanilla characteristic comes through a lot in oak age spirits for that reason. Um, and that sweetness is also coming from the oak and from the oak aging, and they, they use a little bit of sherry wood probably in this as well too. Um, but uh, man, this one is one of my favorites, honestly. I, I can't get enough of LaCroix 18. I like it when you tell me the things that you taste in it, because to that point, of that, that was a really good analogy with the music, because it's it's not like i it's like it's not like i'm not capable of tasting those things or not capable of smelling those things i just can't do it myself but like if you tell me like oh do you taste those things i hope and i don't think it's like placebo effect that i'm like oh yeah i can taste those things but it's like they they really are there you know you just need somebody to point it out to you yeah um there's a couple of cool things uh, to say about that so you were mentioning like bananas that you smell like uh, the banana flavor is an ester, and so like that's a that's a naturally created compound in the distillation process as well. So like when you're smelling banana in a whiskey and you're smelling that ester, that is like a lot of times chemically identical to the same ester you are smelling from a banana itself. It's okay, not so actual... the things that I'm smelling, like banana and vanilla, are straight up there. Yeah, those smells are actually compounds that are real, and you are smelling those. And then a lot of times they're combinations of compounds that elicit another flavor in your brain for reference. Um, and then further to your point about like, it's not that you can't smell them. It's just that you need to be shown to smell them in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, us as humans, we've been tasting things as a matter of survival for hundreds of thousands of years. If something tasted sweet, we kept eating it. If it tasted bitter, we spit it out. Um, but we haven't been talking about these flavors, but for the you know, past little, <laughs> yeah, past little while. So we're not really actually accustomed to being able to pick out what type of berry we're tasting in a wine or in a spirit for that matter. Um, but you maybe not being as experienced in tasting whiskey as me very well may be a better smeller than I am. I just might be more practiced and rehearsed in my ability to access that smell in my memory. Yeah, you can say it. And I can reference it quicker. Hmm. So um, my my girlfriend, for example, is a really good uh, example of this. Like women on average have a much better sense of smell than men, just like statistically across the board. So, and, and this is kind of cool. A lot of these um, whiskey producers, these distillers, uh, distilleries uh, for that matter, employ women as their master blenders so the you know there's there is someone involved like in this lafroig 18 or mccallan 17 someone is taking like stock of all that's there and they're kind of thinking okay if i add a little they're actually doing this in a lab right they're compiling composite blends of x percentage of this barrel x percentage of this x percentage of that and that results in the final mccallan 17 or whatever and a lot of those people doing that are women because they have a much more, you know, genetically tuned sense of smell. Awesome, dude. Hell yeah. But one thing that I would recommend maybe for you when you're doing this is like, and and I have said this before to people, like you, you're really good at like creating memories around smells. Every, that's like how so many of our, you know, I don't know if you've ever like walked into a room, like for me, like when I walk into a room that has lilacs, I immediately can visually see my backyard growing up because I had a lilac tree. 
Um, and so because smells are so good at attaching memory um, in our brains, um, the more you kind of code as you're smelling and tasting things mm. to your brain, the quicker you'll be at referencing it. And then it's just about trying it out and shouting it out with someone and the self-confirmation kind of starts totally. to take over from there. Totally. Any final, uh, any final tasting notes on this one from you? This one for me definitely kind of has the vanilla, like you were saying, it's, it's more like the sweet vanilla, um, blossom, you know, like not the dark vanilla bean. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but like Tahitian vanilla is from an orchid. Hmm. Um, so it's more like this kind of florally vanilla kind of thing for me, but there's also like this smoky spicy thing going on. I almost get like this, uh, like chipotle pepper kind of, uh, okay. I'm glad you, yeah, this one is much more like physically spicy in my mouth than the other one was. Yeah. There's like this, like almost like barbecue sweetness going on, right? Like the mixture of sweet and smoke that, um, so I say barbecue in my brain cause I just think sweet and smoke. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I get like a little bit of that barbecue-y kind of chipotle, but also like this sweet, um, honeyed, really rich kind of honey flavor. It's really rich and sweet at the same time as being smoky and spicy. Man, when I hear you talk about it, I'm just like, it must be so fun to be you. It must, <laughs> it must be so fun to taste things like that. This next one that you're pouring for us is the Yamazaki Single Malt Japanese Whiskey, aged 18 years, so about the same age as the other ones. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is a Japanese whiskey. It looks really dark compared to the other ones. Oh, yeah. Why is that? Is that just the different type of wood? or Yeah, more sherry barrel uh, influence on this guy. So, yeah, the Japanese are very calculated, and they're very... Um, meticulous in the way they craft things right very well engineered well designed so they're a lot different and in japan than they are in scotland you go to lefroig distillery the place where we were just at they have like four stills there they all look like pears they're shaped like a pear and they all pretty much do the same function you know they make that type of whiskey um in japan the distilleries are very broad they they have a pear-shaped still, an hourglass-shaped still, more of a columnar-shaped still, maybe six, eight different stills in one distillery, making all different types of distillate. Then they age them in a variety of all different kinds of barrels, and then they blend all those combinations together to create their unique profile, whether it's a Yamazaki 18-year-old or a Hakushu 18-year-old or a Habiki 17-year-old, whatever. So the flavor is just way complex in the sense that there's like a lot going on all at once for me at least. Um, And so, yeah, the color you're seeing in this comes from a a much higher proportion of sherry wood being used to age the whiskey than in these previous two. Okay. Now, one other thing I want to note really quick is that basically everything you've given us thus far, we had a 17-year-old and now two 18-year-olds in a row. Is there anything with that? Like, is that kind of a sweet spot for whiskey? For me, it is. I like the 17, 18-year-old range. Um to your point earlier when i asked i guess about like oh is a 30 year old like more expensive because this or better because of this and you're like ah, not necessarily it's kind of what you want yeah aside from the fact that most 30 year old whiskey is just completely cost prohibitive for 99 percent of the population um there is a sweet spot for where you just like to drink things and yeah for me the uh 
the age range tends to fall in the 17, eight year old, 18 would, year old. Would the 30 start to like mellow out more or something? Like what happens to it from, I mean, that's a, that's a 12 more years. That's yeah. a big difference. It depends on what kind of barrel it's in. Right. So like, uh, I've had like 30, 40, 50 year old whiskeys before that were just aged in sherry wow. and they get so dark and brooding and like, you know, like, so picture like the sweet red fruits drying into shriveled dried raisins and then fermenting a little bit because they sat in a bucket too long and then they get a little dark and like almost woodsy bitter like you know so like it can kind of fall off right yeah, like if it stays for the most part like much, what is how long you'll see whiskeys for uh, is anyone selling like a 60 year old whiskey or that doesn't really exist yeah there's like, a few of them McAllen has a 60 year old whiskey out wow, there there's a incredible. couple of 50 year old ones out there i haven't tasted a lot of 50 year old whiskey i've definitely had a, a few of them um, the ones that are aged in sherry for that long are a little hard for me to get into cause they just, they're just almost too much. Hmm. Um, and they get, they, they tend to get pretty tannic, pretty dry and bitter after the sweet hmm. up front, like attack of the flavor. Yeah. Um, whereas like these first two and now this one that we're going to try has a very long lengthy midpoint, like a long lengthy finish at the end of it too. Um, for me, there's a sweet spot that that stops, and then if it gets too old, it might be incredibly interesting in the nose, but the palate just kind of falls off hmm. quickly, kind of thing. Interesting. It just kind of depends on the the barrel where it was aged, what what you know, what who made it, whatever. But um, so are distilleries sometimes maybe planning on making a thirty year old, then somebody goes through and tastes it when it's only like twenty years old. They're like, wow, this thing's kind of already starting to turn. We need to just pull it right. Yeah, now. I, I imagine that happens a lot. Yeah, interesting. For sure. So there's a, a piece of luck that's involved with being able to even make a 30 year old or a 40 year old. Or whatever yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think there is absolutely. A, that's why I was saying earlier, there's a little bit of magic involved as well. Hmm. And different barrels can have different um, lifetime experiences, you know, different uh, different little microclimates that happen in these warehouses between the top floor and the bottom floor, the, you know, southwest top corner the northeast bottom level kind of thing really affect temperature and and thereby you know the final product yeah i mean shoot even if it averages only one degree different one degree different over the course of 18 years i mean that's really going to change you um man so i just got a whiff of this this smells unreal like it (laughs) smells so good compared to the last two yeah so and that's kind of yeah so (laughs) So that's kind of what I was saying about the Japanese whiskey earlier. Is it's a pretty good gateway whiskey. Like you're not going to find a lot of people who, who disagree with what they're going to find yeah. in this realm. Uh, Yamazaki 18-year-old is not an easy one to acquire, though. It's becoming pretty hard uh, to find, increasingly rare, increasingly allocated, um, and increasingly expensive. What do you smell? You can pick this out. You got this. We're on like round three now. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm going to go back to my caramelized banana, uh, but I almost, it almost smells like. You're not allowed to say caramelized banana anymore. (laughs) It almost smells like uh, a little bit buttery, like toffee, like, but I definitely getting like a butter sort of thing, like maybe like syrup and pancakes or something. I don't know, man. I need, I need, I need you here. Give me a hint here. I know, I know what you mean by the butter. It kind of smells like if you like like browned butter, yeah. Like it's been cooked a little bit. Um, this one smells really sweet to me too. It smells like plums, hmm. and 
Wow, like, definitely. Yeah. Now that I smell that, yeah, because it's like not only sweet, but there's a little bit of like slight tartness to the sweet. Yeah, the way that for like, sure. a, and like good plum. I don't know how you can call a smell a color, <laughs> but let's pretend we can. <laughs> like you know, like purplish, pinkish kind of tart <laughs> stone fruit, right? It kind of smells like yeah, like not. It also just smells straight peach. up like cotton candy. Like it smells real sweet. Yeah, it does smell very sweet. So let's take a let's yeah. take a taste. And we can't say slangeva anymore because we're in Japan, so we say kanpai. Kanpai. Wow. So, ma'am, you're not joking when you say the like good gateway whiskey. So I, I the thing is, I almost would recommend. I, I it's hard for me to know how I would feel if this had been the first one that I tasted. Right, as someone that doesn't really drink whiskey or doesn't drink hard alcohol very much, I don't know what that would seem like if that was my first drink of the night. But having just had these other two, which, by the way, one was, like you said, a freaking $180 bottle of Macallan. This is twice that. This cost twice that. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, I feel bad that you brought such nice things over. But So this is, first of all, when you put it in your mouth, there's no, like, uh, especially after the Laphroaig, how I was saying, there's almost like spiciness. Yeah. There is no spiciness. There's no heat. There's no heat. There's no, not like... Your mouth doesn't give any hints to the fact that, oh, dang, don't swallow this. This is about to be alcohol. There's nothing. Like, a little kid would just swallow this and have no idea. Um, it's And dangerous. then almost even yeah. after you swallow it, I mean, it's just so delicate. I feel like this is the finest made whiskey I've ever tasted in my entire life. <laughs> this is, it's, un- well it's like, honestly unbelievable. It's pretty good. There's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah. I can't believe this is whatever it says 43 percent alcohol 43. that's incredible like it, it feels it feels like water on your palate like it's <laughs> just so soft and that's that's really really amazing yeah this one is this one's um this one's pretty good it's it's definitely sweet it's got um it's definitely got this like kind of almost like sandalwoody kind of gentle incensey damn it kind of i'm so mad every time you say something and i'm like ah yes like that's it it's like when you're when I'm smelling it, it's like I know there are these things there that I'm like so close on the tip to, of your tongue. Yeah, it's like if I can only say it, but I'm so um, immature. To, I guess to your point about how long have we been saying these things? Gotta, for, I'm so immature, at, like saying you know, saying what I'm tasting. Yeah. Um, but man, it's very sandalwoody. Totally. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the Japanese whiskey ac- actually has that kind of characteristic to it, and. It it's said to come from um, the type of oak, one of the types of oaks that they use. And in Japan, they have a different kind of oak. Now we're getting into a, a third type of oak. It's called Mizunara oak, and it's a very slow growing oak. It's got very very tight grain in the tree, and it imparts this kind of gentle, spicy, sandalwoody, incensey, frankincense kind of. Uh, almost Middle Eastern kind of spice kind of thing going on. They only do that in Japan. This is this is one of the most incredible things I've ever tasted. Which is why uh, the demand for Japanese whiskey is off the chart right now because... Are a lot of them like this in terms of how delicate they are on your palate? Like when you put them in your mouth, like and you're just kind of holding it there in your mouth, there's nothing like burning? Or- yeah, a lot of them are. Um, and I haven't had nearly the depth of exploration in Japanese whiskey as I have in Scotch whiskey. So like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, there's going to be some like Karuizawa or like 
you know, Kieran freak out there who's going to be listening <laughs> and be like, no, no. I've had some that are really kind of more masculine and intense. But yeah, the majority of the ones that you're certainly going to find are, are going to be pretty. And certainly at this price point, Yamazaki in general, though, is just known for just refined balance. Like the, the all the whiskeys from Suntory, which is like the parent company that owns Yamazaki. Right. Are all really, really refined. All right, Josh, let's... uh. Let's move on to the final here. What uh, what's this last one? It looks American. I mean, I say that because the bottle's it's got a turkey on the front. It says American. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just noticed it's called High West Whiskey, and it's got a kind of a, uh, I don't know, like a burnt paper looking label. Yeah, it's a cool bottle. It's a handmade bottle. Uh, yeah. So as he said, this is High West um, Distillery's American Prairie Reserve. So this is bourbon. This is not malt whiskey. This or malt, I'm sorry. It, I should. We should have cleared this up like forever ago. A malt is what any type of grain or something. Malting is a process. Okay. Uh, so you can malt other grains. You know, I guess you can. You can malt rye. Uh, you can have a hundred percent malted whiskey that is rye and not barley. Okay. Um, but this is. This happens to be a bourbon. They did not malt the grains. Okay. Them. So bourbon is at least fifty percent corn. I remember that. Fifty-one. It's got to be in. Oh, uh, damn it, Josh. I want to come up with like this cool story of why I chose this, but in truth, it was at the front of my cabinet. Mm. So that's why I brought it. Wow, love but it, that. It's, yeah. But it is really good. Um, it also kind of illustrates a cool topic, which is that there are a lot of whiskeys on the market that aren't actually made by the people whose name is on the label. Hmm, I which bet. Which is what this is. So this High West whiskey... Um, High West Distillery is from Park City, Utah, and they started a distillery a few years ago in Park City, Utah, of all places. When the liquor laws changed there, they opened this distillery. And what happens nowadays when distilleries get started, they need to turn a profit or at least turn some revenue to pay the bills and keep the lights on and keep producing. And aged whiskey takes time. It takes age. So what they do is they go on the bulk market and they go to other bigger distilleries and they purchase barrels. And they blend them to kind of have a specific style that they might be going for or branding concept that they might be going for. They're like antsy to start selling, so they just want to get to business. Yeah, and I mean, it's not, it. you, you say the word antsy and you're like, oh, you know, you kind of, you might feel like you look at these people and like, why can't you just be patient? Well, it's like, it's really expensive to run a distillery. So like, you either have to sell vodka or you gotta you gotta buy if you're a whiskey company you gotta buy whiskey elsewhere. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. You're paying rent for 18 years, and you have all this capital yeah, equipment. You and also got to fuel it. Yeah, exactly. So, so High West is making their own whiskey from oats, actually, and they're aging it and they're experimenting with different things. But the way they got their start in the whiskey world was by purchasing bulk whiskey. So this American Prairie Reserve, actually, it's probably not really commonly found. It doesn't exist anymore. They came out with another American Prairie that was not the reserve, just regular American Prairie, uh, when they ran out of this. So this was just like a one-off thing that came out in 2012. Hmm. It's predominantly composed of Four Roses bourbon, just like I was recommending earlier. And as I was saying, Four Roses was a component in Bullet Bourbon for a while and probably is still kind of trickling out of its um, recipe as we speak. Um, And then it's got some bulk whiskey purchased from this place in Indiana called Midwest Grain Products, which is a bulk distiller that is a contract distiller. They make whiskey to order, basically, and a lot of brands. Bullet Rye is made in this Indiana facility, um, and a lot of other brands are too. So, and Josh, how old is a lot of this um, American bourbon and American rye and stuff like that? Because none of that is like 
ever age dated. Like generally across the board? Yeah, because it's, yeah. al- it's always just the brand. There's yeah, always yeah. just Bullet Bourbon, High West. Like there's never, I never see ages on any of this stuff. Like is it like four years old or is that like 10 years old? Yeah, so in America, we are really going through a bourbon craze, like more so than in, in Scotch uh, whiskey market. And, um, and so what's happening is they are not putting ages on for that same reason I was saying earlier. It's just they, they need to kind of quell the demand. But um, the majority of the non-age shaded whiskey, I would I would probably say, is generally about four to six years old. So if you talk about like an Evan Williams white label, a Jim Beam white label or something like that, probably four years old. Um, so you're interesting. So you're saying maybe if we went back like 20 years that a lot of the American whiskey would have had ages on it, but we're almost like ahead of the curve with not well, age dating. I mean, a lot of, a lot of American whiskey does, but you have to, it's now moving into more of a premium price point. I mean, you can certainly find age stated bourbon for $20, but, um, the older, older bourbon is just disappearing completely. Bourbon really can't be aged as long as comfortably as scotch much 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 hotter in kentucky and it ages much much faster because of that and corn in general is kind of a clunky grain it's just a little chewier and more sugarful and um so it doesn't age as gracefully so really the oldest bourbons you're going to find on the market are in the 20 ish you know certainly there are some over that but the majority of even higher aged bourbons are really more in the 10 12 year range okay yeah all right um all right, let's uh, taste our first bourbon. We're Here we back can in America, so we cheers, just say cheers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What just, do you smell? Yeah, so it smells very different than anything that we've smelled thus far. You're allowed to say vanilla. You're not allowed to say bananas. <laughs> it smells like wood. It's like I, I actually like smell the wood more yeah, than any of the other ones. Much more. You can definitely. I mean, it smells like someone took just dried out yeah. log and started sawing it in half. Yeah, totally. All right, you you give me you give me one and I'll give you one. What do you got? I get um, I definitely get the vanilla for sure, um, but I get a I get a little like I get a little bit more earthy kind of uh, tobaccoy thing going on here, more so in the finish. It's sweeter up front, but then as it starts to evaporate after you've um, after it's gone away, it, it gets more kind of leathery and tobaccoy on the finish. Oh wow, yeah. So I just had my first sip. Definitely, wow, yeah. And it it gets even more tobacco-y as it goes away. Yeah. Wow. That tastes so different. And That's coming again, from the four it's, roses. It's interesting that uh it's interesting that these are all called the same beverage. In general, uh, tell us about some tasting notes in a bourbon versus tasting notes in a scotch. Yeah, so um one thing that I I use as a reference for people is when they say, like, well, what's the difference in flavor between like, you know, bourbon or rye or scotch? And I say, well, have you ever had cornbread? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, have you ever had rye bread? Have you ever had wheat bread? And then like this light goes on. They're like, oh, yeah, makes sense. So if you think of this thing, remember, we're just making a beer out of grains. We're distilling it. And these grains have their own unique characteristics and flavors. Corn is much sweeter. I mean, corn is, we, we even call it sweet corn. Like you can bite into corn and it's sweet. So... Because bourbon has a predominant amount of corn in it, at least 51%, sometimes as high as 90 plus, you know, 90%, more like probably in the 60, 70 range on average. Um, A lot of like cooked, caramelized, kettle corn-like flavors are very predominant. So vanilla, a lot of those oak flavors, very common in bourbon. 
um, caramelization from just like the charred barrel um, that they're putting the whiskey into always comes through. Um, so those are kind of like the primary flavors, like the caramel, the um, almost like kettle corn, like sweet corn like flavors, certainly the oak and all the spice, you know, derivatives that kind of come from the oak. And then after that, you get more of the secondary and tertiary flavors. And for me, what I like in bourbon is more of the savory flavors. So there are some bourbons that are made from a lot of corn and then some wheat. And then there are some bourbons that are made from a lot of corn with a little rye in it. And I tend to like the rye bourbons more than the wheat bourbons myself. Mm. There's a whole group of people who would wholeheartedly disagree with me on that. That's just a preference. But um, in this case, there was rye in the mash bills of both these bourbons. Um, and a lot of times the savoriness of rye adds a little bit of spice to it and some kind of almost herbaceous notes like minty like qualities and things like that. And um, I always also look for, like I say, the more earthier flavors, the leather, the tobacco, the, the baking spice cabinet. It's so, um, man, that's just for it because it really is like tobacco-y and leathery. So it's just, it's further interesting, you know, earlier we had the conversation about the peat moss and when you envision scotland and in like these little islands in scotland that are just completely like fogged in every day and like surrounded by the ocean oh, okay so i like see that and i'm tasting it and everything when i envision the the corn belt of america i also envision like the tobacco belt and like you know the all these things that are grown there it's crazy that all, all these things are born out in the glass that you're drinking it um Man, I don't know. It just gives me a lot more like, like respect, that, huh? and yeah, it makes me want to taste whiskey more because that's it. That becomes like a, an exciting prospect, right? That you get to like you get a little insight into what's going on, and and to now, I guess, go back to uh, the Yamazaki Japanese whiskey that we had. Like you said, um, I mean, the Japanese are just such an absolutely amazing culture, and take everything. <laughs> they're going to do something yeah they take it seriously well. they're going very to do well something thought. they're going to do it right and mm-hmm. they're, the process is very thought out and the fact that you could somehow make an alcohol that delicate is absolutely amazing to me um yeah i mean the whole process you just really get an insight into either the culture the area something you know yeah and that honestly is what kick-started the passion for me uh for whiskey in the first place was that insight and that exposure to that unique culture of where it came from. I've learned more about history and historical context um, through alcohol um, research and whiskey research <laughs> than in, you know, and than in anything. And it's so intertwined and the way it has evolved is, is so intertwined with culture that that really is the beautiful part. And you go to Kentucky, you really see how bourbon played such a significant role in the history of that area. You go to Louisville, downtown Louisville. I mean, they had a place called Whiskey Row. There was like a hundred distilleries on a four block stretch. I mean, that's crazy. So it's, it's culture that's driving that innovation and consumption at the same time. It's a self-fulfilling process. Yeah. Pretty cool. Really cool, man. Really cool. Well, I'm a little buzzed. Any, uh, (laughs) do you have any last words that you want to leave everyone with? Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I would say um, if you're new to whiskey, give it a shot. It's pretty um, it's pretty enlightening for me, and uh, I think you'll probably find something interesting out of it. There's there's a whiskey out there for everyone, so I encourage you to find a a good sage uh, 
advisor in your area, whether that be a bartender or a bottle shop, um, you know, person or something like that to, to help you find the right thing that's for you. But go out there and start trying things and ask questions and talk about it with your friends and get to know it, get to know yourself with it and have a good time. Josh, dude, thank you so much, man. And thank you for all these really, I, I, I can't believe you brought such expensive whiskeys over. This has been awesome and like really taught me a lot. This is cool, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. They're, uh, they're, they're better shared. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did enjoy the episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave me a review on iTunes. If you did not enjoy the episode or you don't enjoy the show, then you can actually go on my website, halfhourintern.com, and send me an email through there and tell me what you don't like about it, and I will write you back and tell you what a huge jerk you are. And while you're on halfhourintern.com, you can actually also sign up for my newsletter on the center of the homepage, um, which I just recently started. I'm having a lot of fun writing, and my mom loves it, which means it must be like super, super good. And if you don't trust my mom's opinion of it, you can actually click on the top of the homepage uh, link that says newsletters, and that will take you to old editions of the newsletter. So you can actually um, look at old editions before signing up to get future editions of the newsletter. Um, As always, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care.